Amen. Let's stand to our feet, dive up into the scriptures. Uh, we'll return to First Corinthians, and we'll return to First Corinthians in um, January. And so today we'll be in Titus chapter two, verses eleven through fifteen. Titus chapter two, verse eleven through fifteen. You know how we start. You know I'll start with you, and you guys keep going. Uh, let's do a verse eleven. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Keep going. Amen, amen, amen. Um, if I could tag this text today, when grace showed up, when grace showed up. Let's pray, Father. Uh, we thank you that you are our God, you are our Savior, and we honor you and thank you for even this time of the year uh, where we believe that we want to continue over long periods of time of every day of our week focusing in on you. Yet during this time, it is necessary to draw in deeper to different aspects of what we're thankful for about you. Help us not to forget that. And Lord God, I pray that the nutrients of grace would make its way into every single one of us and that we would be on an ever committed trajectory to knowing you and to understanding you because you tell us to boast in this, that we know and understand you. And because grace is a part of who you are, uh, grace is who you are. Um, we want to we, 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 we want to know and understand you and brag about you uh, dispensing grace to us. Not bragging on anything that we've done, but bragging on you who are the dispenser of the great mystery. And so, God, I pray that you would help the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. Let the, help us not to just be hearers of the word, deceiving ourselves. Help us to be doers. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, I remember when the Jeffersons were not in rerun status. Uh, I remember when you actually had to wait for a TV show to come on. You didn't have, you know, apps to watch. If you missed it, you missed it. Wasn't no reruns and all of that. I'm talking about before there was... Betamax and VHS. I know some of y'all don't even know what that is. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all, what in the world is a Betamax? Just, just Google it after the gathering. Don't do it during the gathering. Um, but, but I remember, and I remember one episode in particular um, where Sherman Hemsley, a.k.a. George Jefferson, uh, knew that the preacher was coming over to the house. And it's funny how people act when they believe the preacher's coming over to the house. They you know, he opened up a big old Bible. It, was, it, it wasn't even a little Bible. He, he opened a big old, I'm talking about one of them big old Bibles, you know, at the church where they got the little light on the joint and they had a Bible open on an altar with the candle. You know, the big joint, you don't even pick that. Nobody picks that up. It stays on the same page. You know what I'm saying? So he, he pulled one of those out and, you know, he opened up the, the table that had the, the turntable in it and the eight-track player. 
um, look all of that up, you know, after the gathering, and opened it up, and he playing Andre Crouch, and he's trying to literally create this atmosphere so that the, uh, so that the, the preacher would accept him or <coughs> view him in a way um, that he had a nonstop spiritual existence. And, 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 was, and, and what's interesting about many of us is we relate to Jesus Christ like that. We relate to Jesus Christ in a way where we think that we have to, we, we have to put on an air for him to accept us. Um, but Jesus Christ, when he came from heaven to earth, knew exactly what type of mess he was getting himself into. Listen, let me tell you something. When, when, when Christ came to save you, he knew you were a mess. So he doesn't want you to create some false spiritual environment to be attractive to him because he, he's not attracted uh, to, 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 to our unhealthy spiritual envi- environment. What, what he does is the Bible says, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so that points to the fact that God in Christ didn't wait till we got it right to deal with us. And so he, he comes to the sinful atmosphere of your life to engage it and to challenge it and to deal with you exactly where you are. As a matter of fact, you can play as much music as you want. You can, you, you can, you can put on a dress from your neck to your knees and to your ankles. And you, you, can, you can put on a suit and you can, put on, you can have a Bible bigger than this pulpit in your hand. But God doesn't look at the appearance. He looks at the heart. And as he looks at the heart, he deals with you based on where you are in reality, not where you think you are in your mentality. And so we come to a passage that I think is neatly nestled in a great book that I think is one of the most, I think the smaller books of the Bible are very, very potent. And they're they're, they're many times very, very much so overlooked. And in being overlooked, we'll miss out on a whole bunch of great things. In this book, the great book, of one of the gospel trailblazers, disciples, you know, the global gold trainer, your man, Paul, had a son in the ministry named Titus. And possibly while he was on his way from in appealing to Caesar and moving towards Rome, he would be released on the different places where they would stop on the way, and he would get the opportunity to be able to share the gospel with those people that he uh, got dropped off at. And so throughout the entire island, Paul and his team, because you could stay on a vegetation with a person for a long period of time. So Paul and his missionary team would go out into the different cities and begin to proclaim the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. And people would meet Jesus as Savior, and as they would meet Jesus Christ as Savior, if they're not there long enough, what Paul would do is he would sacrifice one of his staff members in order to make sure that Christ is properly formed in that congregation. And so what Paul began to do is Paul stopped at Crete, and when he said there in chapter 1, verse 5, he said, for this reason I left you in Crete, uh, Titus, uh, so, that, uh, uh, so that you may appoint elders and set everything in order. In other words, he, even though there were believers, there was order. There, even though there were believers, there needed to be order. In other words, when people come together, there are messy people that come together from all different types of backgrounds. And, and when they come together from all types of backgrounds, there's in need of an order. Somebody say order. Order being put in place. And so there are three things that he commissioned Titus to do in Crete. Number one, he commissioned them to develop leadership. He commissioned them to, 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 to make disciples, so discipleship. And then he commissioned him to deal with developing them to do God's mission. And so we come to this passage in Titus chapter 2, which is a famous discipleship passage. And in this famous discipleship passage, it's very, very beautiful because in verse 1, he says to him, uh, y'all don't mind if I give a little background, do y'all? 
in, 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 verse, in verse 1, he tells them, teach what accords with sound doctrine. I, 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 I like that. Now, sound doctrine is, is scarce in our society in relation to the church because people are more impressed with cheap amens than they are in people's lives being changed. And said, but, but Paul said, don't, don't go in for the cheap amen. Don't go in for, for the cheap stand-upage. Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to go for healthiness. Somebody say healthiness. Healthiness, when it's a sound doctrine, the, the, the word sound in the Greek is the word hygienist, which we get our word hygiene from. Uh, um, so I, I, what he wanted them to do was uh, the, the word meant to, 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 to administer something in such a way that the person becomes healthy because of it. And so he said, I want you to teach what accords with making people healthy, not just making people happy in their own right. And so, and so, and so that means, Titus, you're going to have to teach the people some hard things. That means you're going to have to say some stuff to some people that they're not going to like, and they may not even like you, but you be faithful to the truth no matter what. And he gave them four categories of people to engage with healthy doctrine. Number one, he started with the older folk. He started with the old head men. He said, listen, I want you to teach the older men. And he walks through what to teach the older men. Then he teaches, he said, I want you to teach the older women to teach the younger women. He said, so he, he said, but this is what I want you to teach the older women. I don't want you teaching the younger women. I want her, to, the ladies to teach. Uh, in other words, he wanted there to be a robust community of biblical men, a robust community of biblical older women uh, who were not just mature in years on earth, but mature in Jesus Christ. If I can pause parenthetically right here, just because you've been here a long time doesn't mean there's a stretch of maturity in Jesus Christ in you. Because your years on being on planet Earth doesn't equal spiritual maturity. You can have somebody 26 years old more mature than somebody 76 years old. It's according to how much time you've been with Jesus. You can be on the Earth 76 years and have three years with Jesus, and somebody uh, 26 years old walk with Jesus for 10 years, from the, and they can be more spiritually mature than you. They may not have more life experience than you, but they have more Christ experience than you. Somebody ought to hear me right there. And, um, and, so, and so in light of that reality, we see that, that, that there is to be a shaping of disciple-making in the church uh, that includes older men, younger, uh, older women, and younger men, and younger women. What's interesting, when he gets to the younger men, he gave everybody all these qualifications for them looking more like a disciple. It's so funny that when he gets to the younger men, he just say sensible. He said, I just want them to be wise, prudent. He said, they don't need nothing else. If they just get being not silly out of their mind. He said, they just get that. That's the mark of maturity for a young man. It's powerful. And, and, and so, but then, but then he comes down, and he does something powerful. Paul usually does orthodoxy, then orthopraxy, or he does doctrine and duty in his books. Here he does it differently. He reverses it and does practice, then theology. And so what he wants to do is he wanted to give Titus some practical things and then root it on a biblical foundation. And there is where we get uh, grace, how grace showed up. And so this, the verses, verses 11 through 15, is the theological foundation for verses 1 uh, through 10. And 1 through 10 shows you what you should do, um, but verses 11 through 15 is tell you why you do it based on what you believe. I want to tell you this parenthetically right here. Everything you do should be rooted in something that's biblically believed. In other words, don't haphazardly have a life where you're just doing stuff. Have a biblical root for everything that you do. And so look at look, right, right here. I just got, I got two points and I'm out of your way. For point number one, when grace showed up, grace is a person. Grace is a person. Look, look, look at verse 11. He says, for the grace of God appeared. Somebody say appeared. I like this. The grace of God appeared. This is weird. 
This is weird to me that grace appeared. Uh, 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 um, be, be, it, this, this is powerful truth right here with, with grace appearing because that means that at some point grace wasn't seen as loudly as it is. Now, some of us look at the Old Testament and we think that the grace wasn't in the Old Testament. But, 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 but I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you real quick in the first book of the Bible, in the third chapter of the Bible, you see grace real loud. The way you see grace real loud is Adam and Eve messed up real bad. Matter of fact, they didn't just make a mistake. And it, like some of us, see, we got areas of our life we fell in. The, the, it, see, you, you, we're called the fail. They're called the fall. There's a difference. I mean, they didn't just mess up their marriage. They didn't just mess up. <coughs> they, they didn't just mess up the garden. They messed up everything. I mean, ain't none of, none of us said, my life is in ruin. No, it's not, because you ain't messed up everything. I mean, can you imagine Adam talking about, man, I done started tornadoes and tsunamis, and now crazy people going to be born because of me. Matter of fact, I'm crazy now. You crazy now. I mean, everything in the world was cataclysmically impacted by what he did. In other words, there should be no grace for the dude and the dudette that messed up everything. But God, being rich in mercy, took them out of the garden to keep them savable. Because if they would have eaten from the tree of life after eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would have been eternally separated from God. But to keep them savable, God stopped them from ever going. going out of, getting them out of the garden wasn't just a judgment. It was an act of grace. And the theophany presence of the present Christ came in a bodily form and killed one of the animals. First time on the planet, killed one of the animals and clothed them and then told them, listen, later on, somebody's going to come and reverse the polarity of what you messed up. I'm blown away by that. It blows my mind that somebody that can mess up everything can get grace. (laughs) Now, you you ain't messed up everything. You messed up a lot of stuff, you and I. But, but, But guess what? We get grace. Grace was concealed, but it's truly revealed later. But, but we see that grace is there. How about David? David had two counts of death on his life. How did he have two counts of death? He killed a man and he committed adultery, both under the law uh, uh, of worthy of death. As a matter of fact, for having a sin nature, all of us is worthy of death. So that's three counts of death. But God, being rich in mercy, told him, your sins have been taken away from you. In other words, grace is there all throughout the Bible. But then we see grace appear for the first time in the history. Um, Grace appeared in the Old Testament in Theophanies, where Jesus Christ, before his incarnation, showed up in Theophanies. Uh, He he, he was the one in the garden. You, You may not know that, but that was him. And in Genesis chapter 18, by the oaks of Mamre, that wasn't the Trinity. That was two angels and the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. Up in Joshua chapter 6, the captain of the Lord's army was the Lord Jesus right there. See, y'all, 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 it says there were four men in the fiery furnace and one like the sons of gods. That was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. In other words, before he got a body, he looked like he had a body to show off to somebodies. But then ultimately... But then ultimately, the word became flesh, and skeneo dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten, full of grace and truth. There it is, grace. That means that Jesus Christ, when he incarnated, was the embodiment of grace. There were a lot of attributes that God has that he could have showed off God's justice, but we didn't need that right then. You don't want God's justice without grace. 
Oh, I wish I could pause right there for about an hour. Um, you, 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 you don't want to talk about justice without talking about grace. For you, now, we want justice for everybody else, which means just us for some of us. Y'all get that on the way home. <laughs> but, 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 but we want grace for ourselves. The Bible says the grace of God appeared embodied in a person. <clears throat> when, Jesus, when the Bible says he was full of grace and truth, it means grace controlled him. He had uh, grace Tourette's syndrome. <laughs> if you know anything about Tourette's syndrome, they people with Tourette's can't help but say certain things, right? Jesus couldn't help but involuntarily communicate grace in everything that he did. The people he had no love for, and it's not love, but he'd get frustrated with, rather, were religious people. Because religious people don't think they need grace. Religious people always point the finger at others, and they have a system for why they're right without God. But, but, but pro people that are broken and messed up loved when grace appeared. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, because I'm meek and lowly at heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. Here in this passage, we see that grace is a person, not a thing. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. And it's, and it's, and it's for those who recognize that, that, that they're in desperate need of what they can't do on their own. So the grace of God, the beauty of God's grace appears in the glory of Jesus Christ. But grace is not only an attribute of God. Most of the time in the Bible, we see God's grace in action, not just in his essence. When I say essence, I'm talking about who he is in character. But the way we know about God's grace is the way he dispenses it to us. And so, therefore, the way we see grace is by him holding back stuff that he should have done to us and pronounce favor on us in an unfavorable state. Help me today. God pronounces favor on the unfavorable. Now, see, some of y'all looking and you ain't said nothing because you think you're favorable. <laughs> or either you don't know how unfavorable you... Some of us think that God liked us, that's why he saved us. But God had every right to throw us in the pit real quick. But uh, Grace is God seeing all of your mess and still putting you in a favorite position. That, that means that mean God, God, grace is God deciding that he's not going to let how messed up we are get in the way of his commitment to us. That helps me out every now and then. Because there's some times where I get depressed about how messed up I am. There's some times that I get frustrated. But when, but when I think about how gracious he is to me, <laughs> some of us are our greatest judge. God has already passed you out of judgment if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. And so grace appeared in a person. It's not some esoteric idea. Why don't you be more gracious to me? No, 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 no. Grace is an embodiment of a person, and it's in Jesus Christ. It said it appeared. That The word there is epiphany, where we get the name of this church from. Epiphany. Epiphany means to reveal something that was closed off at one time. Help me today, God. In other words, the epiphany of Jesus Christ is to show up and show out about who God is in his desperate passion and love for you and I. That's, that's what it is. That's why we named this church that, because the church is supposed to be a continuation of the epiphany of Christ. We're, we're, we're to be show-offs, and long as we're not showing ourselves off, but showing him off. That means if any place is gracious, the church should be. It should be the most gracious place on the planet. 
And, and so, and, and so the, the, this idea and the glory of the beauty of this appearing points to God illumining our hearts and minds to see the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all people. That means he is the true Santa Claus. He's the true Santa Claus. Because he didn't come from heaven empty-handed. He didn't just come to earth to show us grace. He came to earth with the gift to give us grace. That had to be a big Santa Claus bag from heaven. Can you imagine how much grace it took to get us? But, but, but all he did was pull out of his bag a cross. And that cross was good enough to spread its giftedness throughout all of us through his blood. So he's bringing salvation. That's what he brought. He brought justification and he brought sanctification and he brought glorification. Now, some of us just think he brought justification because some of us stop at being saved. In other words, when you stop at being saved, you miss the point of why grace came. Because grace wasn't just fire insurance for you not to go to hell. Grace was the start of a relationship for you to be with Christ now and forever. See, many of us think we're going to be with Christ, but you have the living Christ through the Holy Spirit living in you. And so in light of that reality, you've all, eternal life doesn't start when you die, it starts now. In, in, in other words, if you don't have eternal life now when you die, you, 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 you're eternally dead. Therefore, being born again starts eternal life, so you're just living to live again. Somebody going to get this in a second. And so what happens, what happens to our lives when, when, when we get saved, getting saved ain't, ain't just, you know what I'm saying, hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? I love the lurch and all of that kind of carrying on. And playful churchianity, which is gracious, easy believism. It's easy believism that's, that says, come, come up here, say this prayer real quick, and everything will be all right. No, it's embracing the grace of the living God for all of life. For all of life. And so we see that not only he justifies us, declares us righteous, but he sanctifies us. When you see the word salvation, it's all of that. So that means he's making you more like Jesus daily. That's, that's good. Some of y'all, some of, some of my seasoned saints, you, you're, you're out of body decaying, ain't it? But the Bible says that you're getting renewed day by day through Jesus Christ. All my, all my seasoned saints above 50 should have just ran around the room just now. Because as messed up as stuff is happening to your body, falling apart and coming apart, the good thing about being in Christ is as messed up as your physical body is, help me today, God, that, that, that you can grow in your internal body. And a younger believer can have a nice body but a messed up spirit, but you can have an older body and a nice spirit. So you just encourage them, keep on living, baby. Keep on coming on through here. And then they're encouraged now to to be grown up in the faith as a younger believer, to powerfully live for the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only does grace, not, not only does this, this salvation, not only does it justify us, and not only does it sanctify us, but it glorifies us. We get to rule with Christ. That blows my mind that we will rule with him. But what do we do now? Next point. <coughs> we look at this idea of when grace showed up, point two. Grace is our personal trainer. <coughs> now, I know that almost seems like an oxymoron based on what we just described in the text. But grace is a personal trainer. Look, 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 look at the verse. It says, training us to renounce. That's why grace appeared. To train us to renounce. Somebody say renounce. renounce. 
ungodly, ungodliness and worldly passions and to live. Somebody say to live. Amen. To live self-controlled, help us God, upright, help us God, and godly life, be with us God in this present age. So, 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 so what we're supposed to be right now is we're supposed to live a life of renouncing and living. You, the, every, every day is filled with renouncing something and living something. That, that, that's, how, that, 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 that's, that's how the affirmation of you being a believer comes out. Renouncing and living. Renouncing is interesting because it means to refuse to pay attention to something. Help us today, God. In other words, there's some things in the believer's life that grace gives you the ability to refuse to pay attention to. There's some persons, places, and things that we need to refuse to listen to. You know, I'm just growing to the fact that, 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 that I, I can take a good criticism, but I can know when a foolish criticism comes. Refuse it. You understand what I'm saying? I, I, can, I, can, I can take when somebody, somebody's trying to give me something I ain't got no ability to have, refuse. I want to I grow in my ability to not pay attention to some stuff that'll eat away at my soul. That's to see, that's what grace came to do. It trains you to do that, though. <clears throat> it doesn't just happen. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, those who are mature have their senses trained for the ability to tell the difference between good and evil. You can tell what's the will of God and what's not. When you know something's not the will of God, guess what you do? Renounce it. There's some people that's not the will of God for your life. Renounce them. There's some places. Y'all got quiet on that part. That's not the will of God for your life. Renounce it. Because everything ain't for you just because it's in this world. Everything ain't for you. And so, and, so, and, so, and so he says renounce. Renounce is to disclaim association with something. In other words, it's the refusal for your identity to be found in anything else but Jesus. Renouncing it. Renouncing it. Sometimes you got to renounce you. See, it's easy to talk about the, the enemies, but you forget about the enemy that's in me. Renounce. You got to renounce. You can't get saved unless you renounce yourself. That's called repentance. Oh, that's a curse word in the church today, repentance. You know what I'm saying? Because repentance is an act of grace by which the believer realizes the holiness of God and realizes their fallen state and throw themselves on the necessity to have themselves changed only by him. Yeah. So renounce points to our mortification. <coughs> mortification is the crucifying of who you were. Grace trains you to crucify you. <laughs> you, you, you know you got to have training to deal with yourself. See, people got this old foolish theology of you got to get to know you. You got to know the real you. See, if you spend some time with you and your, your mind and your heart and you, like what? The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Get to know yourself. You not. The Bible doesn't teach you to know yourself. It teaches you to die to yourself. And see, but, that's, but it takes grace to do that because grace helps you to admit where you're not. That's what grace, grace frees you up because being a Christian is being freed up to be honest without fear of comprehensive consequences. <laughs> it's, it's so freeing to know that I can come before God and deal with my sin and not be eternally damned for it. That's what that renunciation points to. Um, but to live, vivification, putting on a new self. And grace empowers us to be committed to righteousness. So what does it call us to renounce? Ungodliness. Ungodliness. With having no regard for spiritual things. That's what it means to be ungodly. Having no regard for spiritual things. Spiritual things don't 
don't jolt you. Don't jolt you. In, in other words, it doesn't matter how you wired and what background you come from. When you become a believer, you are to, you are to be jolted by righteousness, not unrighteousness. In other words, you, you got to have some moments in your day where you say, help me, God. I'm about to do something I ain't got no bit. That's why he says, renounce worldly desire, worldly passions. It's some stuff in your life and some people that go by you daily that you need to pray that you stay away from. That's okay. Um, in, in, other words, in other words, there's some stuff. Because as you move through your day, you got to embrace righteousness. And this points to Matthew chapter 13, 22, where Jesus talks about the word that rece- person that receives the word of God with joy, but then the word, worries of the world choke them out. But then he says, how should you live? He says, you should live self-controlled, I like this, upright and godly lives. Now, see, what I like about the gospel is it does not, God does not tell you anything he doesn't empower you to do. So that means living righteously is not something you do on your own separate from the Lord. It's an empowerment of why grace came. In other words, this unmerited favor that saved you is the favor to live for. So what he says is he says, live upright. He says, and live godly. Self-control is a leash that God gives us. You know, I see some people, it's funny to see real, real muscular dudes in the neighborhood got a little leather thing and they walk in a little flowery dog. It's the, weird, it's the weirdest combination I've ever seen. You know, but, but, but that dog needs a leash that's not that strong because that dog ain't, I mean, that dog go boof and you just pull him back, you know. <laughs> but then there's the wolf dog. That's a different one. You can't go to, you can't go to the, um, the pet store and get that leash. You go get one of them little vinyl leashes, that thing, you know, with bells on it and all of that, that dog be done tore that thing off. Therefore, you got to go to the hardware store. <laughs> you got to get a big old link. You got to get something made. You got to get a welder. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <coughs> Self-control is the leash for our passions. Your passions is like a pit bull. Press a canario. Pit bull. It's like a mastiff. Your, pa- your passions are ferocious. And, 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 and what, what God does through the gospel is he gives you a nice, strong link chain to hold that joke up. In other words, don't, I, 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 don't go over there. Pull them back. You, have you ever seen somebody look like the dogs walking them? You ever seen them like this? They just going like that. I see the college, some of the college student sisters, they got some dogs in the neighborhood. They just be going like this. I feel so sorry for the sisters. I'll be like, that's a big dog, but you need to get some control of that dog. I'll be scared. I cross the street because if she let them go, cacao, I'm scared. You know what I'm saying? I'm scared. But God gives us the power and strength through the power of the gospel to have self-control. That means you can decide through Jesus where your passions go. God doesn't take away your passions. He just helps you to utilize them in the proper outlets. See, you know you're walking in godliness when you don't give your passions to everybody. And it's not just sexual. It can be for the overly emotional person, <coughs> needy person. That need, in other words, you, gotta, you can't, give your, can't cry about everything. Help me, God. Everything in the tea. You can't get angry about everything. You got to learn how to, I got, I got. Pitbull, come on back. You know, because some of us, hey, ah, I'm, just, I'm just angry, man. Just angry. Pull that joker back. You cussing everybody out. <coughs> you know, you, you're on the road, road rage. Listen, chain link, pie down. 
That's what grace gives. Grace gives you, grace, grace lets you celebrate. What it does is, if that had been five years ago, that's how you be. You'd be like, if this was five years ago, and that, the way I was five years ago, I would have cussed you into another century. But, but for the grace of God, I can bless you. You somebody did something. I would have. You some of y'all. See y'all don't need to say. It, you just say it in yourself because the, because really you floss it. Some of us say. See if that had been two years ago, I'd have slapped you right in your face. I'd have slapped right there. See that mark? I'd have slapped. See that's really you trying to bully somebody. You know what I'm saying? But you need to tell yourself. See God. See God. I know I'm growing up. I'm gonna. I'm know I'm walking with you. Cause a few minutes ago, I Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Self-control, that's what grace gives. Grace gives you the ability to hold back on some stuff. But it does give you the grace to be angry with righteousness. So it's not just the holding back of anger. It's not the holding back of emotions. It's not holding back of neediness. It's just the ability to press it out in the right places. And what's good about grace is when you fail, you can repent. <laughs> said live upright. <coughs> it means having a, a, a character that has some quality to it. Just, ca just character. That's all upright mean. It means a person of integrity, who you are when nobody's looking. In other words, that's when righteousness is tested. When God's eyes are heavier than you, on you than a crowd's eyes. See, see, you know you're growing up when you can think about God as looking because you live in light of his presence. And when you live in light of his presence, you're like, okay, he is looking. He's actually here because grace appeared. Again, grace is not an esoteric thing. It's a true person. But then he said godly lives being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in this present age. So that means in verse 13, he used the word epiphany. He used the word epiphany in verse 11. Verse 12 is now. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised from the dead, it changed the polarity of the universe. And it set in motion a new time period. And that time period is called the present age. We are supposed to exude the glory of Christ in this present age. But what I like about it is he tells us, he, he wants to make sure we don't love this age. Because look at what he says in verse 13. He says, waiting for the blessed hope. <clears throat> that means that you shouldn't, you shouldn't be disappointed if Jesus came back today of what you didn't get a chance to do while still living on this earth. You know, some of us got some things that we say, Jesus, why don't you wait a few minutes to come back until I get that? Then I can enjoy heaven. But see, that's a misunderstanding of what heaven's like. That's a misunderstanding. See, if you think there's anything down here that you have to do before you get with him, you idolize this present age. That, that, that means every single, as, as, as great as having children is, as great as getting married is, as great as getting millions is, all those different things, those pale in comparison to the blessed hope. It doesn't mean don't live here. It just means don't, he says pitch a tent, don't build a house. Listen, that's, that, that's why the Bible says, yeah, do I go through the valley? I, I want to go through this valley, and, and, and I want to get to the hills where come my help comes. It comes from the Lord. And so that, that's where I want to be. I, 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 every day I want to yearn for him. I don't want to yearn for earth. I want to live for him on earth 
but I want to meditate. That, that, that's a weakness in my spiritual life that I want to grow in. I, I want to imagine him coming back. And, uh, I, I want to imagine him coming and giving me a new body. I, I want to imagine him wiping away my tears. I, I want to imagine him. Listen, I, listen, listen, listen. Everybody talks about it. It's going to be streets of gold. Who cares about streets of gold? Gold in heaven. Listen, this is how valuable God is. You walk on gold. You don't even use it. Because he's so valuable that the only thing gold is going to be worth in heaven is pavement. Listen, listen, gold, gold just going to fill a pothole. Gold is just going to fill a pothole, eh? Because you're going to be in his, the blessed hope. Uh, I don't, uh, so, so why, everything that we value here will only be an ornament in heaven. But he is our joy. And so the blessed hope helps us to live now. And so my prayer today is us as believers will, during this season, meditate on that blessed hope. And meditate on the fact that he came and that the person came, grace came as a person. And as we meditate on that, that impacts how we live. He says, should we sin that grace may abound even more? No, may it never be. But grace motivates our sanctification and our commitment to God. Father, we thank you. And we honor you. We, we bless you and we honor you and thank you for your commitment to us. That Christ died on the cross for our sins, raised from the grave, and changed everything. The first Adam destroyed everything. The second Adam restored everything. And so, God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, help us to have lives and passions that look to the glory of the blessed hope and his return to come back and get us. And we are living to live again. And so, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, maybe you're here and you've never put your confidence in Christ. The fact that Christ died on the cross for our sins, was raised from the grave, was raised from the grave. And putting your confidence in the fact that God's wrath was placed on him, thank you, Lord. His wrath was placed on him and him alone so that his wrath, his anger towards our sin, we wouldn't have to take on. And when you repent and turn to him, what's beautiful is we get to experience a relationship that is eternal with the living God by faith. 